Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. We're picking up where we left off last week. Pastor Tony concluded in the middle of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. This is the last Sunday of our 1 Corinthian-based series called Divided Church of Christ. And so Paul continues where we left off last week. Chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on, that, on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. You got it so far? Me neither. (laughs) But here is the key verse for today. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Stop there, come back to that in a minute. I was thinking this week of all of the places that I've been blessed, I've been blessed to travel a lot, and some of those travels have included some of you. We've been blessed to have some trips from peace that have gone some four or five different places now and experienced some true wonders. And I was thinking of all the churches in some of these places that I have stood. And I go back to one of my favorites was when we went to Israel, and one of my favorite stops was Capernaum. And have you been to Capernaum? Okay, a few of us, some of us who traveled together, some of us who didn't, but in Capernaum, uh, what I loved about it is the, it's some of the best ruins from the day of Jesus. I mean, this was the actual village that Jesus called home in the Sea of Galilee's right there. And so you could picture a lot of the scenes from the Bible that took place here. And they, they pretty much know for sure that this was Peter's home. And then I remember standing in what were the ruins of the synagogue and thinking, whoa, like, This place Jesus actually preached here. Like this was his home synagogue. I mean, so many of the ruins in Israel, if you've been there, you know it's like it's like they they pick a spot and go, okay, here's where Jesus did this, and they build a church. But this was like the actual ruins of what took place. And so it was just mystifying to stand there. Then a little bit down the road in Jerusalem, we, we went to the ruins of the great temple, Herod's temple, 
where he built this, he, he built it on the same property that was Solomon's temple, but this, this time it was bigger and better and, and it would have been filled with ornate gold and all sorts of decorations and the walls. I mean, the ruins of the Western Wall are impressive by themselves, but that's all that's left. And you, so you have these beautiful scenes of, of uh, Orthodox Jews and different people of faith coming and just touching and putting notes in, the, in these ruins. And it's, it's impressive to see. Then fast forward to the Vatican and being in Rome and experiencing not only the Sistine Chapel and thinking about, oh, all the, of, of the artwork that's in there, but thinking about when the popes gather and they have their little conclave and elect a new pope and the smoke comes out of the chimney. The magic that seems to take place in that room. Or then go down the hall to St. Peter's Cathedral built with all the money of purgatory. still think we should bring that back. Or then going to Germany and standing in the church where Luther and Wittenberg started the whole Reformation. Some amazing places to be sure. And I'm sure you've been in some amazing cathedrals as well. But so the question I wanted to ask this week as, we, as I was thinking about today is where did this whole building of churches come from? Where did it all start? We take for granted that we have these magnificent uh, structures, but where did it come from? And of course, we can go back, and most of us are aware that from the beginning of time, people have worshipped something, gods or, or creatures, whatever it was in the day, and, and they somewhere along the line started building altars or stones to sacrifice things on, and then eventually housed those stones. So where is it that it came from in our faith? And where I go back is to the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 40, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. Place the Ark of the Covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. Then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it. Bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. And so here it is. Here's the first description of what would have been our ancestor in the faith's church. But they called it a tabernacle. Do you know what the word tabernacle means? Place where two parties come together. So us and God. Place where two parties come together. So picture this. This is the Hebrew people. They're out wandering in the wilderness. They're in the desert. And they, they have this command from God given to Moses that I want you to construct in your gathering a tent. And there we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant. And this will be the place where God's presence most dwells is in this little section. So it wouldn't have been very impressive, but that's what it, how it began. And so then later on in that same chapter, we see this verse. Now, wherever the cloud, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. So here, now we have this tent set up, and then God would have this cloud descend upon it. And at night, it says later in this same passage, that, that cloud would become fire. 
And whenever God decided it was time, they would pack up, follow that cloud wherever it went. So the tabernacle was kind of like a, a holy motor home. And they would follow this thing and God would lead them wherever they went. And with them, they always took the presence of God. So here we have the beginnings of what was a, a, a worship center. And so then, well, now that we know this, this idea of tabernacle and this tent kind of imagery, now let's fast forward to the New Testament and the Gospel of John. And in the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it says this, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And so do you see what's happened here? It, and it says, the word became flesh and lived among us. In Greek, you know what lived among us translates to? Set up a tent. He set up a tent among us. So God has gone from this image of, okay, I am, I am most centered in this space to now I'm most centered in this human flesh that is walking among you. So instead of following this tent, follow this dude, right? And he lived among us, and we, we learned to see what God is like, and we know that somehow at that time, the very presence of God was in this person, and we followed this person. Now, let's go to one of my favorite scenes of the Bible where this person well, this isn't my favorite scene where he gets crucified, but there is this verse in it that I love. It's when he's crucified, he breathes his last. Do you remember what happens in the temple? The curtain ripped in two. Now, where was this curtain? It's the curtain that separated the holy of holies. So it's in the temple, it's where we believe that God's presence was most thick, kind of like the tent. And it was in there that at first they put the Ark of the Covenant, and then later on, because the ark was destroyed with Solomon's, uh, with Solomon's temple, they put the rock that supposedly was the pillow that Jacob used for his uh, head when he fell asleep. So they had this holy thing in there. But the curtain tears in two, which signifies that, guess what? God's presence is no longer confined in the temple. It's on the loose. It's out and about undefined areas and then and then in the book of acts comes pentecost do you remember this story where where they gathered and uh, the jewish people gathered and and to celebrate the season of pentecost but it was then that the holy spirit enters on the scene and enters who you you. So think of it, it's gone from the presence of God has gone from a tent to a man, to on the loose, to you. Paul says it like this in verse 16 of what we just read. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It's no longer in a tent. It's within each of us. I was visiting one of our members at an assisted living home, 
several years ago, and you know, I'm a pretty formal guy. Um, I think I was in shorts and a golf shirt, and the receptionist at this particular home was grumpy, must not have had her coffee that morning or something, and I walk in, and I'm signing, signing in, and, and she asked who I was here to see and who was I, and I said, oh, I'm her pastor, and she, she no lie, does this. She goes, And then looks at me and goes, you don't look like a pastor. To which I think at that time I said, thank you. Um, but I thought about it after the fact, and I, 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 maybe the perfect response should have been, although it might have sounded a little bit arrogant, well, yes, I am the dwelling place of the Most High God. <laughs> might have come across as arrogant, but... But it's true, and it's true for each of you as well. You are the dwelling place, according to God, of the most high God. So I go back to like standing at the remains of that ma- what would have been that massive temple in Jerusalem, and I, I go back to thinking of the story in the Gospels, when Jesus and his disciples go to this temple, and keep in mind his disciples were these kids that were fishermen that probably never traveled five miles out of their village, and they come to Jerusalem for the first time and see one of the wonders of the world, and they're standing in their mouths wide open in awe, and Jesus just kind of shakes his head at them and says, you tear this down, I'll build it again in three days obviously talking about himself and where that spirit was heading and what he was going to do, but then it hits all of us. So let me ask this question. So we talked about the fact that God's temple is each of us, all of us. We're walking around God's temple. So why then in our annual report, if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet, The back page has some exciting announcements about the fact that we have hired an architect firm to begin asking some questions about our facility. So if we are God's holy temple, and this so much isn't, why do we put more resources into the structure that really isn't the presence of God? Because we know that that's within us. It's certainly a valid question. Here's what my answer is. Because God's holy temples need a home. Because God's holy temples need a home. And we are better equipped to be God's holy temples when we have each other and a place to come and be nurtured and foster our our relationships, learn about how we can be more of what God calls us to be, remind ourselves that we are, in fact, God's holy temples, and our best work is done out there, but we need a place to come, be recharged and, and, and be nurtured and sometimes be encouraged and lifted up because sometimes life doesn't go the way that we want it to go and so we need each other to get through it. So God's holy temples 
need a home. So we're talking with this architect firm. It's just the very early part of it. They're going to be asking you lots of questions because one thing that we've lifted up as leaders in the community is that we kind of have two congregations right now. We have this one, and then we have the one on the other end of the building. And sometimes they overlap. Some of you go to both services. Some of you don't. Some of them don't. So how do we work with an architect to maybe establish some sort of central entrance that allows us to be with each other somewhat? Not only that, we need to upgrade a facility that's getting old. It's from the 60s. So there's some work to be done. God's holy temples need a home. So I, yeah, 60s is kind of old now. <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you, sister. So I look out at all of you and I see a mixed bag of people right now. I mean, some tall, some short, some older, some younger, some Greg with wonderful head of hair, some of us that aren't so blessed, Matt, Bretcher, and I. Some of us are still working, some retired. We come in all shapes and sizes, yet each of us is the dwelling place of the most high God. So let me close with this story. When I was in seminary, one of my professors uh, uh, at seminary told me this. He said he went to visit a famous pastor in his supposedly famous church home. And so he took a flight to go visit him, and this pastor of this church picks him up, and, and he says, what do you want to see first? And my professor says, well, I'd love to see your church. And this pastor said, well, that's impossible. It's Friday. <laughs> right now, my church is, well, one of them's in overalls out on his tractor taking care of the field. There's another that's a CPA looking at Excel spreadsheets in his office. And then there's Dorothy, who's, who's at home, probably in an apron with all sorts of dust all over it, baking an apple pie for her grandchildren. And then the teenagers, well, who knows where they are right now? Their point being, it's take too long to show you my church. They're out doing what God has called them to do. Amen.